Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends of the pod, to another episode of Colton Classic Podcast, where we discuss two thematically re- uh, linked films, usually one Colton, one classic. Uh, but for this month, January 2021, we are doing a New Year New Nick monthly special where our main episodes are all about our good friend, uh, lover of the pod, theoretically. Nicholas Cage. Uh, last week and the week before, we did some great live action films, and we're going decade by decade. This would be the 2000s. We cheated a little bit here, as uh, our good friend Jeffrey Tunker chastised me about, uh, because this would be 2000 to 2009, but technically The Crudes is in 2013. So I broke the rule a little bit, but there's a reason. This is a good pairing. First, we have G Force, a Disney movie from 2009. I believe. And then we have the Crudes from 2013. Uh, as I said, we're going chronologically, so we'll start with G-Force. But first, as always, I am Nate Wyckoff, film critic and comedian and your host here on Colton Classic Podcast. With us, we have our Nicolas Cage expert who has seen every Nicolas Cage film to date and keeps on going. Greg Johnson, how are you doing, Greg? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, very excited to talk about G-Force and, and the Crudes will be fun, too. Yes. Oh, there's there's much to unpack here. We also have with us Tad Mastriani. How are you doing, Tad? Oh, boy. <laughs> ah, there's so much. And we also have Jeff Tucker. How are you doing, Jeff? Very crude. Very crude. Good to hear it. And Mandy Longley. We have a full house. How are you doing, Mandy? Yeah, everyone's here today. I'm doing good. I, uh, I feel like I learned a lot this week. Uh, yeah, there's some lessons. Uh, maybe there's some lessons in one of these films. Um, but we'll start with G Force. This is so G Force is a film that I wanted to see in theaters when it came out, and I can't remember why I didn't. I think for there was some sort of work engagement going on, I had doing something, and uh, and I missed it in its theater run. But it's it is, I'm glad we got to watch it. It is a mixed live action slash CGI film so it is computer generated characters in a real world with real actors and the plot i'm gonna i'm gonna just give the the high notes of the plot here there are guinea pigs who uh a is he cia he's not cia he's fbi right i don't know some sort of government agent has been uh developing technology for these guinea pigs to become spies for the u.s government and um he's he's able to speak to them using little translator devices and he also has uh built 
like a, a, a little robo fly who, who is, who assists the team. And also they have a mole who is their tech specialist who is played by none other than Nicolas Cage. Now, the 3D is sort of the star of this film. There are real people and real, some real animals and things, um, but the 3D is definitely ever-present. The plot is somewhere, it's, it's like if you took Mission Impossible with Tom Cruise, uh, and instead of everyone dying, they just have to get back together and work together, which frankly, in my opinion, is how Mission Impossible should have been. Turning a team-based movie into a single person-based movie is everything that's wrong with Scientology. And uh, G-Force feels a lot like Mission Impossible in a weird way for kids starring guinea pigs that are 3D animated. Um, we have quite a voice cast on this one. Uh, the voice cast for G-Force is, of course, Nicolas Cage plays the, the techie mole who has that funky star nose that kind of wiggles back and forth. Uh, but we also have Penelope Cruz as the female guinea pig. We have, as I said, Zach Galifianakis as Ben, the uh, agent in charge. Will Arnett is sort of the meanie agent who wants to shut down the force because he doesn't believe in it. Bill Nye is uh, the supposed villain who plays a guy named Saber who runs Saberling Industries and is making these interconnected home appliances for some nefarious scheme. Kelly Garner is Marcy, the sort of Zach Galifianakis' love interest. She really has no role in this film. Um, and then we have uh, the, uh, I, don't, I don't know what you would call, the, the lead guinea pig, Darwin, is voiced by Sam Rockwell. John Favreau plays Hurley, his uh, small spoiler, sort of adopted brother who has a mohawk and farts and uh, is John Favreau, the mastermind behind the Iron Man film and the Mandalorian. I don't know what to say about that. Steve Buscemi is a psychotic little half ferret mouse. Tracy Morgan is Blaster, who is sort of the, I'd say it, but sort of the token black actor in this team. Um, I think all of them do a pretty good job voice-wise. There's there's some points we can definitely talk about, um, but I think the, the crew is a strong, like the cast is a strong point of this film. Uh, I think the weak point would probably be the actual nitty gritty dialogue and there's some great examples, but first I wanna go to our Nicolas Cage expert, Greg. Greg, what was your first thought when you saw this movie and how does it feel to have seen it again? Um, I mean, my first thought when I first saw it was I didn't like it. Um, I did not like it one, one bit. It was a very long hour and a half of my life the first time through. <laughs> um, the second time, um, I enjoyed it. I don't know if it's because I'm older. I don't know if I recognize more of the voice cast. So that made it a lot more enjoyable. Um, maybe it's just, yeah, just a different point in my life. Um, it was a lot more fun this time with um, noticing like they do really good job with the shadows. I thought on the CG, mm -hmm. I remembered it looking a lot like older for being what, 11 years ago, but I mean, it still looks pretty tight. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was fun enough. It wasn't, um, it wasn't exactly Kung Fu Panda, which I hold as the pinnacle of animated spoof films. It really but, is a brilliant movie. But, you know, it also um, didn't fall down into Cats and Dogs 2 territory, so. Or Cats and Dogs 1, in my opinion. Cats and dogs <laughs> yeah, for being one. real. I was, I was actually going to compare those because Cats and Dogs is sort of, they try for that same espionage. It's the same hijinks. movie. 
Like it's and it's <laughs> I found it horrible. Um, that it's just God. When I saw the dog in the first Cats and Dogs, uh, chucked against the wall and splayed against the wall, uh, like a cartoon, except a real looking dog is just horrible. Um, yeah. Okay. That's uh, I think those are all good points. Tad, what was your experience with G Force? I am sad to say that I actually did see this movie a long time ago. This is one of the most 2009 movies I could have ever experienced in my life. Zach Galifianakis and uh, also commentary about the military industrial complex. Like the introduction, I'm like, hmm. Okay, I see what they're going for. They're, they they got to draw in the parents who are going to, to see this movie with their kids. Oh my God, I hate this fucking movie. Now that I've seen it twice. But the cool thing is that my infant loved it. He was enthralled watching it. Um, I now have a, a pretty good analog to the uh, pod racing scene in the first, well, episode one of Star Wars. The, the When they just squish all the hamster balls together and do like a little trike, I'm like, oh, this is the pod race scene of this movie. It looks kind of cool. Yeah, I actually really, that was actually one of my standout scenes, actually, because it's it's when they although there's some little nitpicky bits I have about the actual graphics of it, but yeah, they're racing between traffic and they did a pretty good job getting the speed element in there. I mean, anybody who's played video games knows that there's a big difference between a Sonic the Hedgehog game where you actually feel the speed and like a, a, B, a B grade kart racing game where you really don't feel any speed at all, no matter how fast you're going, it doesn't feel fast. Uh, and I felt like they, they kept that going. Um, I, I do think you mentioned that your your kid loved it mandy uh how how did your uh fantastic child enjoy this movie or did he see it we i didn't watch this one with him i watched the cruise with him um but i think that he would like this one a lot i think that we would probably end up talking about guinea pigs for like weeks after he mm -hmm. saw this um like they are adorable it's really cool that they they talk uh or they have little like translators um for me, like this movie felt like a very like, I don't know, having like a big fast food meal where like while you're eating, you're like, this is the best thing ever. Oh my God, I love all this disgusting food. And it like doesn't really taste like anything except fat and salt. And I'm so happy. And then when you're done, you're like, I don't even remember what I just ate. Like, what what did I just do? Um, but it was good while it was happening. Yeah. <laughs> so. I I can feel that comparison because it doesn't have any, they tried to kind of shoehorn in some messages about it, um, which I'll talk about in a minute, you know, of like uh, believing in yourself and, and you can, you can do it no matter who you are or what other people think or what you think, but really it's more, it's more about watching cute animated characters stumble around. Um, Jeff, had you seen this film before and what's your takeaway watching it this time? never seen it until this week um yeah i i, I mean I, I kind of you know like i can i can channel you know child jeffrey a little bit and you know enjoy the you know the the guinea pigs rolling around in balls and like you know uh narrowly escaping a fireplace you know like i can enjoy that type of stuff um but it just it failed on so many typical um uh, kind of like family, family film films though. um it didn't have very good jokes for adults like at all in my opinion like no. it just wasn't very funny for adults like none of the dialogue was weird they went down this weird path of like uh you know the uh, the female character was like 
you know, doing this weird seduction game and like, yeah, I don't know, like it, maybe that was funny triangle. to some people, but I thought it was, it just fell so flat and they spent so much time on it um, that you also normally have the two characters that are a little bit tense with each other. And then they eventually become friends at the end. It's like, you know, kids movie one Oh one. That one fell so flat to me too. Like the, I don't know the, the tension yeah, yeah. between them just didn't, it, it felt, felt so false and like it just didn't feel um, it, it did like the tension didn't make any sense like the tension in the crudes makes a lot of sense the tension in this is just like oh we have to do this because this is you know kids film 101 so we're just going to jam it in there we don't actually have any good reason for it or whatever so I think that failed and also just had too many villains like all the villains were boring um, it just was like almost everyone three... is a- Everyone is a villain except for the main cast. Yeah, and it's just and his it, it's it's like a a villain, you know, smorgasbord, and none of them taste any good. You know, you go to like this buffet, and it's just all villains, and you're like, oh, they all taste like you know mush. Well, so spoiler, not interested? You didn't like the uh, the Nicolas Cage Watership Down story? <laughs> I, okay, I actually thought that was the strongest. So here, this is a spoiler, but we'll run through it's the a little villain. obvious. But yeah, so, I did, I did like that one villain, but the rest of it was just yeah, bad. They're they're like uh, they're awesomely talented tech whiz, the mole, uh, who they think we know he doesn't, but they think gets crushed by a garbage truck, sort of in the first third of the film. Uh, ends up being the mastermind who's uh, sort of, I don't, I don't know if he had a, I don't know how this happened, but he's uh, part of Saber Industries conglomerate and he's made all of these appliances be able to connect and become uh, murder bots to exterminate the humans or quote unquote, drive them underground like moles. And then when we actually get that reveal, and I didn't know that was coming because honestly, I really, I, the movie didn't set me up to actually have a twist. I didn't expect it to have any. I thought the twist would be that he would show up and save the day. That was the obvious twist the, I expected. The point that I knew for sure was with like, they had a character that was like on the screen and they wouldn't like do the video call with him. It's like, okay, that's the mole. I, I was too distracted. It was, it was so clearly Nicolas Cage as well. Like the disguised voice of Nicolas Cage's weird character voice. Was still so very clearly Nicholas Cage. Nate was clearly and lost in the film. I, he was he was into no, it. I remember he was in, in this in the scene. This is what I remember specifically, and why I probably wasn't paying attention to him doing a line read on that is because the scene we're talking about is one or two clips where Bill Nighy's character, the the business owner, is like speaking via uh, Zoom essentially with a bunch of different heads of foreign companies. And I was just, I'm like, do they have a woman? Do they have a, oh, they do. And they named her Mrs. Wong. And then I was like, now, do they actually have the country name? And I'm like, does that say Taiwan or does it say something else? Because they're very careful not to name countries. Like when they, when the government sends them in the opening scene on their first mission to figure out what Saber Industries or Saberling Industries is up to. And let's talk about that. Saberling, if your name is Saber, why would you name your company, your name plus something else? It didn't make any sense that anyway back to reality um i didn't i i was just confused because i was looking for countries because when they think that he's going to sell this technology he's developed to um foreign powers they say he's selling it to the far east i don't i don't know i don't know what that means well obviously they're trying to make a timeless classic and so they don't (laughs) want to get bogged down in country lines because what what frustrates me about that is it's like it's somehow still kind of racist 
but at the same time makes the special operatives look like morons like if you if that's as narrow as you can get like um our enemy is the in the far east then that's you've already lost the war just why are you even They're that way <laughs> why, why even he forces uh based off of a fu manchu novel i guess <laughs> Nate, so, do you remember me saying like this is such a 2009 movie because i can imagine yeah. this is this is 09 obama was president at this point but i imagine during this movie their intel was George W. Bush drawing the circles. Like, you see that right there? That's where the WMDs are. Yeah, this is, so my comparison to the complexity, not even the complexity, because it's actually a little more complex than that. Um, maybe convoluted is a better word, but the, the actual, like, plot specifics of this are in line with, like, a Gerard Butler, Angel is down, White House is down, kind of or under fire kind of vibe like those are in my opinion the epitome of ridiculously bad action plot line where it makes no sense it, it, it they don't even try every enemy is foreign uh, it's just it's just this kind of like core american <laughs> problematic storyline they could have and, had john cena voicing one of the characters and they didn't go down that route either huh they could have had john cena do one of the voices and they didn't go down that route Look, John Cena, I'm sure you're a nice guy, but I had a problem with you and Bumblebee and I really, I, I'm expecting that you've turned it around and that, um, and that you really have been able to bring it up a level in Suicide Squad. I think James Gunn is capable of helping you reach that level. And so I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, but I did not miss your voice in this film. Nice pep talk. So I, that's, that's what I'm here for is to, Nathan, is to let's, talk let's, up our celebrities. Let's, let's bring that full circle. So um, John Cena is actually from the part of Eastern Massachusetts that my wife's from, which is around the Haverhill area. And it turns out, and this is, this is a fun anecdote. Wait, somebody who's famous for beating people up, it came from Haverhill? I know, oh. weird, right? Um, so funny enough, uh, and my wife likes to tell this story all the time. Um, turns out that her brother uh, met John Cena when he was young before he got into the WWF or E, whichever. And uh, uh, John Cena came up and was like, hey, I'm gonna be famous. You want me to sign your skateboard? And, he's, and her brother's like, yeah, oh uh, yeah, here. Douchebag, sign my skateboard, whatever. Then he got famous. And uh, it turns out that her brother actually like snapped that skateboard in half and threw it away. So he, <laughs> he lost out on that signature. But um, that's about as uh, close to John Cena as we'll ever get probably. But John, call us. Yeah, John, I'd love to talk to you about your process, like the process in your career and how it's expanded. And I'm going to say this, like, I, I mean, I'm a middle-aged straight white guy, but if, if Isn't someone- that also what John Cena is also? Yeah, exactly. But I'm like, if John, C <laughs> like, if John Cena walked up to me and said, I'm going to be famous someday, I would take one look at him and be like, yeah, probably. Like he's chiseled, he's super buff. And I'm like, he just looks like, you know, uh, that, that perfect like America wet dream of a, of a lead actor. So I, I yeah, I would have believed it. Um, I, I think, so I want to talk about one of my favorite things about this movie is that, and Jeff, you touched on this. There are no jokes for adults. The one liners are absolutely horrible. I don't know who did the punch up because Patton Oswalt's talked about this in his stand up a lot. But a lot of times punch up, uh, you know, comedians and script writers will be called in to do the punch up lines. So if it hasn't been filmed yet, like in a live action, um, they'll often have a little more leeway and they'll be able to actually tweak some dialogue and stuff. But in like an animated film, especially, 
scenes are already shot for the most part or in development. So they often do these one-liners where a character says something and either you can't see their mouth on screen so they can say whatever they want or it's coming from off screen. And that's when you get the things like when there's a, a melee going down, you get something like the SpongeBob, my leg, you know, like just these goofy lines in the background. This one has a ton, but I, I don't think any single one hit. They're really bad. Like when at the end, the climactic battle is between uh, Nicolas Cage's mole, like in his giant robot. And it looks pretty cool. It's very, you know, Michael Bay Transformers. But it's it's he's he's calling down like space garbage, like old satellites and space debris, as like these flaming missiles to hit Earth, which we won't touch the science on that exactly. But he's calling them down, and the military who have like machine guns are like running away. And his quip at them is leave it to humans to bring guns to a space garbage fight. That's the line. That they wrote for him in that movie i i i that and that was the peak like that's the one that i actually remember like there are others but it, it's like um it's like john favreau's line when they roll under a car in the rolly balls or i guess it's a, i don't know it's a car i forget which scene he's like oh they paid for the undercarriage what a sucker like that's like the undercarriage coating like that's the best line maybe realistically and they're all pretty bad um I feel like they're not even they're not jokes is the problem. They're literally just lines. Well, I think it I think it really shows um kind of how the writing is when when we see Nicolas Cage's characters like flashback, which I'm he voices his father, right? He is his I'm own father. Sure. I'm pretty sure. Um his line is like, Oh, like like why did you do it? Like, oh my father said to me like and it's something very very straightforward like like son if you ever get the chance to bring humans to their knees do it do it yeah like, and like it's really first it's really dark can we just talk about that scene for a second it's a very short scene it's right near the end of the film we actually watch these humans in hazmat suits with these like uh, dust blowers that are blowing what we assume is poisonous gas and they're approaching a cowering cute baby mole with these two 3d animated anthropomorphic moles cuddling him set like as they're about to be gassed to death telling him like you know if you get the ch first off who's who say that your son is in the chamber with you like you're all going to be gassed if you survive make them pay you're like what why don't you make them pay if you survive dad like what crap is that i i just that was that was redonkulous um and it was way too, it was, it was, I think kids will totally just like move on from that. It's the Batman syndrome. You know, we just, oh, that's his, that's his thing. And we move on. But I actually was on the side of, of, of the mole at that point. I was like, yeah, like the humans in this movie are hot garbage. Like Ben's the only one that's, that, and his, and you know, his, his, the female counterpart, which again, she's like the April O'Neil, but she doesn't really have a role in this movie. She's got a couple of scenes, but you could have easily written her out. It was only a matter of time before a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reference came back. That's right. And I mean, they could have, here's the thing. They could have just licensed and done, um, what is it? Radioactive uh, adolescent hamsters, right? Uh, well, I mean, Kung Fu someone, adolescent hamsters. I forget the combination, but that, that was another good series. I mean, someone threw someone into a dumpster and in, the first thing I thought was, oh, he got shredded. Yeah, yeah. It's And so... We also can talk about this movie is an amalgamation of a lot of different scenes and moments and tropes from other, um, it, as you guys mentioned, it's like there are 
times when you know what's going to happen because it's it's become a trope. There are the three cute mice who speak with the exact same high-pitched voice almost in unison, a la the uh, Martians from Toy Story, like, exactly. Um, and uh, they actually do have the only joke, which was in the trailer, which is actually kind of funny to me, which was um, the he's getting the one of the guinea pigs is getting picked up by someone and they're trying to get away and like what do you what do i do what do i do and to go poop in his hand poop in his hand which because that's something that guinea pigs certainly do when you pick them up um and then you have steve buscemi as the like psychotic um backstabbing half ferret uh gerbil right or he's a hamster i think he's a hams half ferret hamster and um who's you know, he pulls the Woody on, like, not literally pulling the Woody. That sounds super <laughs> dirty. He pulls the uh, the the character Woody's move from the first Toy Story and, like, you know, gets rid of them, all like getting rid of Buzz out the window. Uh, and then you have uh, the Secret Life of Pets trope. Or it's not theirs, but they use it as well, where you have the big, dumb uh, animal compared to the smart you know, animal that doesn't want anything to do with him. And that's John Favreau's character and Sam Rockwell's character uh, who end up being potentially brothers. Can we also talk about why Sam Rockwell is in this movie? I would never have cast, like he's been in a Trolls movie since this, but I would certainly never have cast him in a kid's movie. I think it's the same reason Cage was in this. I think they both owed someone <laughs> for something. That's very possible. And as we've, I think we mentioned on the podcast before, but Greg, you said that the rumor is, is that Cage did this movie equivalently as a favor because he got to do a movie in his contract that he wanted to do, right? Yeah, that's what I read somewhere. I'm trying to, um, yeah, because it's a Jerry Bruckheimer film, yeah. technically, and I'm trying to think of what the link was. Um, but yeah, there was some rumor that there was some film that they did together, and he's like, "Well, I'll do this for you." Maybe it was, um, maybe it was Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yeah, like he was really, he was interested in that, and they're like, "Well, if you do this with Disney, you're gonna have to do G Force." And, and then he had the thing like, "Well, I'll do G Force if I can use this voice I've been working on." And then he has this bizarre voice that we already talked about for the whole film. Yeah, and the, the voice is like this high. I will say he stays in character in the voice. I actually think it works. It works a little better here than I think the similar voice did in um, Coppola's Peggy Sue get, got married because there I see him and I know what his voice sounds like because he'd been doing movies for a tiny bit at that point. And like, whereas this, it's it's sort of like the uh, Rocket Raccoon in Guardians of the Galaxy um, with a... Uh, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper. Thank you. Who does like, he does a phenomenal, he doesn't sound like he does when he's being normal at all. And it's brilliant for the character. But, um, and I think that Nick Cage's high whiny choice works here because one, the mole is the nerdy character. So that kind of voice works. Uh, he's not trying to be a tough guy or a lounge singer. And, uh, but it is an interesting choice. It's one of those things where I, I wouldn't have known it was Nicolas Cage if we weren't doing it, probably, until I saw the credits and be like, wait, who? And then I would have had to IMDb it uh, on my way to the car. So, but I've been kind of ragging on this film a little bit. I do think it's medium level. I don't think it's bottom of the barrel. I will say the graphics are quite good, I felt. Uh, as you said, Greg, I think they hold up, even though it's been over a decade since this film came out. Um, the two times when I notice problems and 
I don't think it was because of the age. I think it was just probably not, they didn't do a great job with it is when um, this, this girl has purchased Penelope Cruz's female Guinea pig character and she's putting a tiara on her, this little tiara. It is very clearly not in her hand. Like they, they didn't do the motion capturing or the, the movement correctly at all. It's very, very obvious. Um, and then there were a couple of moments, I think, where the during the, the chase scenes with the cars, where the, the balls that the hamsters are rolling and the souped up hamster balls, uh, they don't quite look like they're matching with the road. But it's hard to tell because we know they're not real. So that's the problem with three-dimensional effects. We know they're not real. So uh, we assume that we're seeing something wrong, but maybe that's exactly what it would look like. Whereas if you use practical effects, even if it doesn't look real, I'm like, well, I know it is. It's physically there. Um, another thing I want to talk about is how many people probably died in this movie in the background because of that car chase. Can we talk about that? There are like three police SUVs that get flipped over and thrown around. And one of them, this is another of those things that doesn't make sense. They, they blow out the tire of one of the SUVs and then the SUV goes off a ramp after them and flips upside down into the back of like a, a, a RV and crushes the RV. Hope to God nobody was in that. Um, but why did they bother to blow the tire if they were gonna go off the ramp and crashing anyway. It didn't make any sense. Did anybody else catch that? Nathan, it's a Jerry Bruckheimer movie. <laughs> it's sugar on sugar, dude. <laughs> it's, it's, it was very fast and furious. Um, and uh, I'm talking fast and furious too. Too fast, too furious. And uh, I will say the other one, the one that really got me though, the thing that absolutely blew my mind because it had to be in a script. It had to be written down and completely obliterated my brain was when... Uh, Hurley, the fat non-special forces guinea pig who's been tagging along with them, um, he's obsessed with the idea of multi-layered cake because he loves cake, but he's and he's heard of this, but he's never seen it. Well, he leaves his post as they're in the villain's headquarters to go to the kitchen and start snacking down. And there he sees a piece of cake and uh, it is inside an appliance, which traps him. And then they have to rescue him before he gets cooked, which is gruesome, but okay. The problem is, is that this appliance that the cake is in is a microwave. What ungodly heathen microwaves chocolate cake? I'm Has sorry, Nathan, that you have all this magic free time in your life <laughs> where you can take your cake in what? In an oven, in an air fryer? What are you doing with your cake, Nathan? I, I can't imagine the horrible gummy chewy destruction that would occur to a piece of sliced frosted multi-layer chocolate cake when it is in a conventional microwave oven what hell would that be like is this i knew like this guy never could have run a company he's insane he just you know what a piece of <laughs> all i know is i'm gonna make a cake and i'm gonna put it in the microwave and give um, it a go you better do it and you better film it and you better show it because I don't believe it can be done. I think the world will end. I think everything, it's going to cause a singularity. Bosons are going to be flying everywhere. Um, it can't be done. That, and I think you might be a little obsessed with this cake scene. It, because, because the actual point in the film, that it actually hinges on this. Like there is, there is a large fight scene and an explosion and characters become separated and have to go different routes to to complete the film's run 
because there was chocolate cake in the microwave. Like, I apologize to every D-list side character robot that Michael Bay put into the Transformers films because not one of them had a piece of cake in the microwave. Like, it, it didn't make any sense whatsoever. They didn't have, like, ground pepper in the fridge, you know, in those, but cake in the microwave was what really killed me. Um, Erica, you put in the damn deep fryer. It's I, I got an air fryer just came in today. I'll, I'll, I didn't even fry a cake. It might be delicious. I don't know, but I cannot, I, I cannot abide putting it in the microwave. I'm fairly certain that had I put cake in the microwave before my wife and I were married, she would have canceled the wedding and I would be single right now. Like that is how insane that is. You know, I, I don't was... like time travel, but I want to see this in action. Let's I mean, uh, let's build a time machine and go back and see. You, you know, I don't like time travel movies. Um, <laughs> is she there? Because you could ask her right now if she would divorce you over microwaving cake. I, we've been together for over ten years. I don't need to ask her. I already know the answer. Um, that's why I said it. Uh, so okay, we're gonna we're gonna center this uh, around the, our our typical recommendations here i'm going to start with you greg oh master of nicholas cage uh, memorabilia and phenomena and performances who would you recommend g-force to and why you know despite my my second viewing enjoying it more i don't think i would recommend it if you're looking for an animated family film there's there's way better like go go watch fern goalie like like holy shit like pick anything else john yeah. um, with tim curry can't go wrong yeah um, and if you're looking for a Nicolas Cage animated film, well, we're about to talk about a better one. And there's a sequel that just came out that's really good. And I don't know, go watch Ant Bully. Like, just do something else. And, and I'm going to mention, too, G-Force is not like a B-list movie. This is a Disney production. Um, yeah. There's a lot of and there's a lot of talent in it. Like, there a lot. Is. So, Big and the, the, the writers, the screenwriters, is the pair that wrote National Treasure. Um, the, Maybe that would the payback. <laughs> It could, I was thinking that too. It could be that. And be, like I said, because like you said, because it's Bruckheimer who is behind this, it could have not even been a Disney film. Um, we, we don't know uh, about that. But, and the director of this, this is actually his uh, only, I believe this is his only directed feature length film. Um, he has one called Voyager 3D coming out someday in the future. I don't know if that's, it is a science fiction movie, um, but he's actually quite experienced in visual effects, which is probably why it is such a strong part of the movie and why he got this one, uh, because he worked for visual effects um, on Short Circuit, Cronenberg's The Fly, um, uh, wow. several of the middle to late Nightmare on Elm Street films. He's, he's done a lot. Um, and he also worked kind of off the, off the record on Con Air, uh, and he, he was the visual supervisor for The Rock. So he's worked with Nick Cage before. He's worked with Bruckheimer before. Um, and he understands visual effects. So, and some little tea here, I guess uh, the idea for this movie was pitched to Hoyt by his five-year-old, who was five at the time. And he liked the idea and he took it. Um, a classic beginning to any great film when a five-year-old <laughs> is the... The inception. I'm going to go to my recommendation next because I am, a, as I said, I wanted to see this in theaters. I'm a sucker for animal movies in the real world, especially rodents. Um, I love the stop motion rodents and and animatronic rodents are like my favorite. So the mouse and the motors, the mouse and the motorcycle, Ralph, 
Um, those films, if you can seek them out, are some of my favorites. But also, I recently rewatched the original Witches film, uh, The Witches, which they redid with Anne Hathaway to some um, hemming and hawing recently. But with Angelica Houston from the Roald Dahl tale to Jim Henson production, the animatronic work on the mice is out of this world. And, and the puppetry, actually, it's uh, mostly puppetry. It's just brilliant and beautiful. So this is interesting because they did a great job with the guinea pigs um and they i like that they look mostly like guinea pigs rather than cartoonesque guinea pigs although they do it a little bit especially with the eyes um they're they're sort of humanish but i i don't think it's as charming as the practical effects now i don't know that you could do this film reasonably with just practical effects or even primarily practical effects because like we said the sort of pod racer-esque chase scene um lots of the action especially in the finale and the robots those are that's heavy heavy duty 3d animated work um it would just be too much to handle but hey go watch the witches with angelica houston if you want your kids to have some fun with some uh little critters running around it's a weird movie it's totally bizarre. So is this one. I also think this one's a little scary. Some of the there's a kid, basically Sid from Toy Story, who like tries to feed the fat guinea pig to a snake, and then like has Tracy Morgan's guinea pig character like in a death race with his RC car, and he never gets his comeuppance. Why is that kid not blown up? Why is he not living underground? Why is there not a post-credit scene where he's underground asking, is it safe to come out yet? And the mole leans over and goes, no. Like, why is that not there? That would have made me happy. I probably would have recommended this film uh, to everyone, but it isn't there. So check out The Witches. Mandy, who would you recommend G-Force 2 and why? Yeah, I really can't. Like, um... Personally, I was like, originally, I'm like, yeah, you know, I could recommend this. This is like a light family movie, whatever. Like, I don't know why everyone was so down on it. I went and like read some reviews and um, I'm like, no, it really wasn't that bad. It didn't really feel that long. And then I realized that I had like paused it like 30 minutes from the end and thought I'd watched the whole thing. And then like realized that I still had like half an hour to go. And I was like, oh, they were all right. They were, they were all right. <laughs> so like, don't. If you like, I'll take Greg's and uh, your recommendation one step further. And like, there are actually a lot of really good kids movies that came out in 2009. Um, specifically, if that's the year, the vintage that you want to go for, there's like The Princess and the Frog from Disney, uh, Up, also from Disney, The Fantastic Mr. Fox, um, you know, Coraline, like they're, you know, Ponyo, I think. Is Lake of Films are phenomenal. If you want something that both you and like your your old aunt who likes independent films only um, and took you to see the swimming pool when you were way too young, like go see a lake of film. You'll both be happy, and so will the kids. Yeah. Um, Mandy, yeah. Mandy, do you do you feel like it really fell apart in that second half? Because that's all I can think about, or the the second third. Sorry, like which in, incidentally is when Nicolas Cage isn't there. That's right. like the whole pet shop and the kids and I. I was, yeah, I was super jazzed up by the beginning. I'm like, oh, Zach Galifianakis, I love him. I remember when it was like, like that period of time was like peak Zach. Like he was in everything. I loved everything he was doing. He makes a lot of fart jokes, which is probably why uh, I particularly love him. Um, yeah, and then that second, third, like the middle, like there wasn't, like they did a good 
what do they call like uh world building exposition of like like why is this happening who are these characters like what is the conflict and then like they lost it in that middle third of like actually making it a story that you care about it was just hijinks it was creating it was like i can't even say creating drama it was literally like pulling plot points out of a hat yes like during a creative writing exercise i totally i totally agree with you and because in the be like you said in the beginning i was actually kind of hooked i'm like this is actually way more espionage action movie than i thought it would be i thought it would just be like you know guinea pig jokes but actually there was like some some tech stuff and it was like i'm like if you if you like Spy Kids, um, if your kids really enjoyed those, the Robert Rodriguez franchise and, and his more recent ones, um, then they'll probably enjoy this. But that second half, it's it really is like they just took stuff that Disney had already done, like Toy Story and the Antique Store or whatever. Uh, I guess that's later, but um, The Collector, things like that. Those middle segments, they do drag. They don't have Nicolas Cage. And I feel like Jeff said, they introduce a whole bunch of villains that have no purpose to the entire thing. Like, why did they pay for Will Arnett to be in this movie? Um, he's in like three scenes. And the last one is just him in a parka in a snowstorm being punished by getting stationed in Siberia or whatever. They had to get in like, that joke of like agent sickle or whatever. That joke is it a was. joke? They had is to it get it in, you know? Icicle. They wrote the whole like, you know, character in there for that one joke. Right. That's that's a rough one. Um, yeah. yeah. They even paid for him to get like orange spray tan. And and again, you know, just, I personally didn't think it was like bottom of the barrel because there are those I consider cats and dogs that. Um, but maybe if you saw it in theater, there's actually tension and action in the beginning and the end segments. But that middle, you're just going to be like, I'm probably going to go get a soda from the bar if I wasn't going to get COVID and die. Jeff. What is uh, your recommendation regarding G-Force? Who'd you recommend it to and why? So I already said, I think this fails like almost every like family movie, like kind of like requirement. Like if you had a checklist, it fails them all. But honestly, the reason I would not suggest this movie for anyone is because I think the kids would like the action and like the gadgets and the, you know, the, the frenetic nature of parts of the film. The reason I don't like it is the really vindictive ending. Um, I don't like that stuff where they just have Will Arnett just like freezing his butt off, like apologizing. Like, oh, sorry, I was a dick. And then the mole is like repairing his, it was like a really awkward ending. It was just vindictive. There wasn't like, uh, it was, I don't know. It, it, it's like so anti uh, kids movies to me. Um, well, you know, if they actually sent Will Arnett there, so he couldn't be that ridiculous role in uh bay's ninja turtle films i might actually support that um and recommend that more no will arnett i love you you are fantastic that just that role in these are are they were misses i hope that they paid you really well um because i mean they basically paid you to stare at jennifer uh, at megan fox's butt out of a car window for the first movie that was like your entire thing so i, I don't know maybe it was a freebie i'm not sure but okay that is it for G-Force. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about 2013's DreamWorks animated feature, The Croods. Nate, we're forgetting someone. Wow. <gasps> Tad, I what am have you so done? sorry. There's just so many people. Here's what, here's what <laughs> happened. Here's what happened. I thought that you didn't have an opinion. 
<laughs> just kidding. I thought that his opinion just sucked and we were just going to skip it. And well, Tad, thanks for being eye candy on the YouTube. And that's, that's about it. Oh, my God. Oh, Tad, who would you recommend GeForce 2 and why, my friend? Um, go, watch Spy, go watch Spy Kids instead. Fuck you, Nate, for stealing my thunder. Um, Robert Rodriguez probably could have done something with this, but um, no, no. I, I would not recommend this to anybody. Not yeah, even I, I mean, I, I think I think that kids, it would be a fine afternoon movie for kids. I do think they'll be engaged. I mean, I was engaged enough to finish it, but it's problematic. I hope that, um, you know, the, the director, because he's clearly skilled with special effects, Hoyt Yeatman, I hope that his next films are better scripted. Um, it's just otherwise, it's just kind of a miss. Uh, and uh, again, it's a Disney film, so they really had no excuse to drop the ball in the script department. I don't know where the thought process was on that, because um, I do think that the idea is actually cute. I'd buy it. The other problem with it, potentially, and why they didn't necessarily put more into it is I don't think that the toy option for guinea pigs that look like realistic guinea pigs is very high. Um, it's because unless Disney was going to branch out and and like, you know, work their toy division to actually sell live guinea pigs. I don't think it was going to work. Uh, also, the design, I know he's supposed to be the villain and then kind of come around, but the design for Nicolas Cage's mole, it's too spooky for most kids. Um, he's too realistic and also a little sci-fi-y. It's just a weird design. I liked it. Um, I thought it was interesting, visually appealing to the adult palette that likes differentiation, but kids, nah, no one's, no one's going to buy that toy. So I don't think it had a lot of chance. But we're going to take a break and we're going to come back with the crudes. Hey, cult and classic crew, friends and fiends of the pod, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Nate, I don't have any money. And if I did, I'd be spending it on cool things like buttons and custom trading cards and zines that are unique and made each week by the cult and classic podcast family. And guess what? You can do both of those things at once. You can support cultandclassicpodcast.com and get awesome swag like buttons and custom trading cards that are printed on actual trading card stock by actual trading card printers and autographed by the artist and also zines like classic issues of rearted with comics and illustrations and interviews as well as brand new cult and classic podcast family publications that uh, are brand new so you'll get them first in line these are awesome, awesome things that you can get just by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash cult and classic podcast. For as little as a dollar a month, you can get videos of our episodes. You can see all our lovely shining faces as well as exclusive content like uh, extra episodes, film reviews, book reviews, and things like commentary by us on our short films, which you'll also be able to see. If you want to pay a little more, $5 a month per se, US, then you get an awesome autographed custom trading card. These are official printed uh, at the same place that prints every other trading card you've ever bought and they're autographed by the artist. These are exclusively for Colton Classic Podcast and inspired by our episodes. They, you can't get them anywhere else except through us. Only $5 a month, you get it shipped right to you. Shipping is free. If you pay $10 a month, if you are a true drinker of the Kool-Aid for ColtonClassicPodcast.com, then you will get uh, the trading card, access to all of the content that is exclusive to Patreon members, and you will get a brand new zine every month, whether it's a classic uh, 
copy of Rearted Zine uh, with interviews, comics, art, all sorts of cool stuff, or brand new Cult and Classic Podcast family publications. Those will get sent straight to your door. Plus, there's usually extras like pins, stickers, all sorts of cool stuff. So you're doing two great things. You are spending money on awesome swag and you are supporting Cult and Classic Podcast. I know it's tough right now in the pandemic. If you can do it, join us at Cult and Classic Podcast Patreon. If you can't, why don't you recommend it to a friend? We all have those rich friends and uh, they can spread it around a little more. I'm just going to say it. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, as always, Cult and Classic Podcast loves you. And we are back. Up next is uh, actually one of my favorite animated films, The Croods from 2013. Nicolas Cage is actually a lead character in this film. He plays the father in a, a group of a family of cavemen, Neanderthals, we assume, in sort of a fictionalized primordial world. Uh, it's, it's like Earth, but the animals are not of Earth. Um, and it's a, it's, it's a really cool DreamWorks film, uh, in my humble opinion. And this family operates on, thanks to Nicolas Cage as dad, the idea that they always should be afraid because that's how they stay alive. So they stay for days in a dark cave with a rock blocking the wall and open it and run out only to find food and then run back in. Well, uh, their daughter, Eep, does not like it. She wants to get out and explore the world. And um, she does so briefly and ends up meeting a uh, homo sapien sort of uh, a different offshoot of uh, primate as we are all today and uh it's voiced by ryan reynolds his name is guy he has this cute little sidekick character that's a little furry lemurish animal that he calls belt because he acts as a belt and then pops up and does his own thing on occasion and uh guy is convinced that the world is ending and he knows it because he's seen it. He's seen near split open lava, the whole deal. So he's heading towards these far off mountains. Well, turns out he's kind of right. The earth is splitting, Pangea is breaking up or whatever primordial world this is, is breaking up. And so uh, the crude's cave is destroyed and they end up following Guy along the way. Um, and Nicolas Cage's character is, uh, who's his Grug, is that his name? yeah grug yeah. grug uh is is begrudgingly slowly accepts guy into the fold but really he's angry because he can't protect his family with his strength and fear-based mentality whereas guy a uh, homo sapien who's weaker and smaller is succeeding by using uh, invention and creativity and and uh ideas quote unquote and of course Eep is smitten with him and there's a sort of mutual attraction going on there. Although guy is definitely intimidated by their brutish strength and manhandling of each other. There's so much great stuff to talk about in this film, in my opinion. Um, first and foremost, the design is stunningly beautiful. The animals are really these amalgamations, these chimera esque animals. Um, you have a, uh, uh, like this owl cat who's a giant predator who has feathers and turns his head like 180 degrees, but is clearly cat-like. You have uh, these sort of ringtail cats that are attached at the tail. So there's two of them at one. You have um, flying piranha birds and the actual design of these creatures I found really, um, really fascinating. Like the piranha birds, their beak opens in a way that's totally unexpected. It looks like a normal bird beak and then it, it, 
looks like a piranha when it opens its mouth. Totally crazy. There's also some funny scenes ensuing with that kind of thing. Um, there's lots of different biomes they travel through on this world from like desert to dense jungle to sort of these strange plains and rock formations. Just a lot to look at visually. I also think the writing is pretty strong. This is um, uh, directed um, by Kirk D'Amico and Chris Sanders. Chris Sanders is sort of the name of the game in the past uh, two decades for animated features as writer and director. Um, he, wrote, uh, he wrote Lilo and Stitch. Um, he wrote um, Mulan. He did the story for Lion King, the story for Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast for Disney. A truly one of the powerhouses of Disney that now is shopped around and worked a lot with DreamWork. The Croods also was the first um, animated feature by DreamWorks to really turn a profit. They uh, often overspent because they were competing with Disney for so many years and they still are and Pixar now. Um, but this one sort of took the cake and really put them on the map. And it's crazy to think that because they've been making solid animated features for a couple of decades, yet this is really the one where they actually started to see a return on that massive, massive investment. And uh, the sequel came out uh, very recently. You can catch it streaming uh, for a premium price and eventually it will get released on Blu-ray and such. I think, Greg, you had the actual date on that when it was coming out on DVD? Yeah, I think uh, February uh, 23rd is the release date. And yeah, that's The Crude's A New Age. Yeah, so, um, all right. We're going to go around the horn here. I'm going to start with you, Jeff. Had you seen The Crude's before? You said you hadn't even heard of it, right? No, I think I was living in Taiwan at the time. Uh, oh, and I just missed it, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I thought it was you know, a, a good contrast to G-Force because it, it really did all of the things right, at least. For a family um, film. For a family film. Um, you know, it had it had good, like, you know, conflict between our main characters um, that, you know, eventually gets resolved um, in kind of like a nice messagey way. Um, you know, it has like a lot of that, you know, a lot of, um, you know, individuality and those types of things built in there. Um but yeah, I, I really just loved, um, I think the thing that I loved about this movie was what you described. We went through like all these biomes that are just fantasy. I mean, it's literally, there's there's like, you know, some rooting in kind of like what, uh, you know, the history of Earth actually was. But, you know, for the most part, it just was like a fantasy version of, um, you know, like, like a like you said, prehistoric like a more time. Prehistoric time, yeah. So I like that. I thought it was like a cool adventure. We, we really got to go through all of these different places and uh, creatures and um, they were all very interesting um, in, in this kind of tight package of family film. And I think it just really worked for me. Yeah. I, I think that the idea of, of having the well-developed personalities for these characters is is one that you touched on that's really important because the opening scene um, we get the device which is often used in animated films where the setting is not contemporary uh, society uh, what, like like Moana does a similar thing where it's sort of a faux animated or drawn 
montage of, of a character narrating and we kind of get the gist of the world. In this case, it's neat because it's like cave paintings, um, which, which Grug does some of. And I, they did a fantastic job with lots of the little motions. Um, the, the Crude's family, they're a little apish in how they move, but they're also incredibly agile. I really thought that the design of Eep, the, the female lead, is, was neat because she's pretty, but she's also very strong, very, in some ways, masculine, very broad shoulders, not what you would traditionally see from a typical Disney film. Um, as much as I love DC and Gal Gadot is stunningly beautiful, and I think she's a talented actress, I, I see things like a Wonder Woman film, and I think, why didn't they cast someone who's bigger? You know, because uh, she's incredibly strong. She in the comics, she's often drawn very powerfully. You know, these these ideas um, where uh, we don't allow female characters to appear strong uh, in movies is really and media is really something that I appreciated the crudes not doing. Um, none of the family is uh, is really unrealistic. In fact, the men look like men for the most part. There are men that look just like Grug nowadays. Uh, that's not really a compliment, but um, it is, you know, yet their movements and their motions and the way they act is clearly different than we act now. Uh, and that the, after the opening montage with the sort of cool um, cave painting style, then we get this, what I think is my favorite main first scene of an animated film with them leaving the cave for a hunt they run like crazy fast and uh, they end up trying to get an egg from this ram bird that like has ho horns and bumps into things trying to fight him and get the egg back and it's about like half the size of the egg itself <laughs> right right exactly <laughs> it's it's just this it's it's totally goofy but they have you you basically get every single character in the family's um, personality down pat all the way down to the feral baby which is hilarious um you also have and some of the just the wildlife that's you know yes hanging out around yeah and and the world feels so alive i was thinking about this um i was i was playing uh the new ubisoft montreal game um uh what is it called um the immortals phoenix yeah. rising phoenix yeah. rising and um which i find to be a fantastic game it is essentially a Zelda Breath of the Wild clone, if anybody's interested. Um, I will say this, though. I actually didn't finish Breath of the Wild, uh, despite being such a huge profile game and loving Zelda, because the world feels dead and empty. Um, Fenix doesn't do that. There's a lot more to do. There's a lot of different things to see, a lot of characters, all that sort of thing. And the Croods has this. The wildlife and the world is alive. Nothing seems to have been taken for granted. Um, even that when you're in the rock-filled cab, like um, sort of south central United States canyon style regions where, um, where their initial cave is, uh, rocks move, dust, wind blows, sun shines. Like it's just a really vibrant world. And every time they move into a new location, we get new creatures, new animals that seem well adapted to their environment. And in that way alone, it's oddly educational i can only imagine especially for a kid seeing these ideas like um animals they have a, a lizard that um 
dupe some carnivorous plants by having a tongue that when it opens its mouth looks like the flower. So they think it's a flower and they don't eat it. Like these are really cool ideas. Um, I can imagine some crazy zealotous creationist people being very upset because this film clearly operates under the idea of evolution, even without having the entire homo sapien Neanderthal debate. Uh, it's, it's rife with it. So if you have a problem with uh, evolution, I don't know, read an ancient text. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, this movie is going to upset you, but it's a really fantastic thing. Also, unlike G-Force, I feel like the jokes in this film land and there are jokes that are funny to kids and adults. For example, Grug is constantly doing a count, which there seem to be these anthropological studies that, that have found that early... Neanderthals did sort of use mathematics to check numbers and, and, and increase survival. How they did that, I don't know. I certainly am not an anthropologist, but I thought that was fascinating. And he's constantly counting and checking to see if his mother-in-law is still alive. And every time he thinks she's dead for a second before she answers, he's super happy. And it's funny. Um, it's also And heartwarming at the end. It's not it, just exactly. vicious. It, yeah. It's, um, there, there's a there's a hidden love there that that uh, I think becomes very clear at the end, but uh, it's not it's not mean spirited. Yeah, he comes around, and it's sort of like that. You know, I think most of us probably have um, some family where yes, we love them, but there's this antagonistic relationship, and so you have that kind of teasing, not really teasing, but you know, yes, if it came down to it, you, you're my family, and I I will. Uh, um, accept you in some form in my life. Tad, I know you don't know anything about that at all. I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> so <clears throat> I, uh, yeah, I like that. Um, I also think that I always have this concern when I hear Ryan Reynolds do voiceover work because he's a very, he likes playing himself to some extent, which there's no shame in that. He's very good at it. I mean, he's a fantastic Deadpool. We knew he would be a good Deadpool before he played Deadpool. And, uh, and he also, I thought he did a great job in um, Detective Pikachu. Like he's just a fun voice actor. He has a lot of personality, a lot of snark, but we know his voice. And so sometimes it's very hard to break yourself away from uh, a celebrity's voice. It is so recognizable when they're playing another person. But I feel like Guy is different enough than what he usually plays. He's not a strong guy. He's a guy that thinks he's sort of the hiccup haddock from uh, How to Train Your Dragon, um, another Chris Sanders uh, masterpiece. And it went away. And all that we're left with when I'm watching this film was, wow, what a well done character. Not, oh, Ryan Reynolds is doing a good job. Mm -hmm. um, I actually so had him at, at the beginning, but it, it yeah. melted away for me pretty quickly. I was like, oh, Same. this is definitely Ryan Reynolds. But I think by like the third scene he was in, I didn't. It, it, that wasn't clicking anywhere for me. Um, it really was just the character. And Mandy, you had seen this film for the first time for this podcast. Um, you said Emerson, your your son liked it. Is that did you did you like it too? It, I did like it as well, and I think that this would be a good replacement for um, How to Train Your Dragon, which we watched about a hundred times. Yep. So, um, it it. Emerson has given it a new name, uh, Daddy No Shirt. So I am looking forward to watching Daddy No Shirt Part Two, um, A New Age. I don't know if he's referring to Guy or to Grug. Because Grug kind of wears like he 
Greg sort of has a shirt on, but he's got like no sleeves. At the unitard. Totally. Yeah, so not really totally sure, but yeah, I uh, really, really enjoyed it for a lot of the reasons that you just explained, like the um, kind of the through jokes with the counting. Um, I really liked the, the imagery that was used throughout with like the sunshine um, touching them because they started on a very dark cave, but then it's also used at the end with um, the smoke as well. Like I thought that was very nice. Like they really do tie things, these all these threads like through the storyline. Um, as well as taking the time to really um, bring the whole world to life, like as it's being destroyed. Uh, and all of the characters each having their own personality, quirks, um, like uh, motivations, like interactions with each other. Uh, it was just really well done. Um, and the story didn't have to be any more complicated than a road trip story. Like it really didn't mm -hmm. um, to do that. Yeah, and, and I think you get to that overarching message, which I think, Jeff, you were hitting at too, where a family film, a really good one, tends to have some sort of positive message that um, children maybe, that they can get, even if they don't understand they're getting it. Um, and I think this one has this really beautiful idea of don't be afraid to, to do things for your own betterment. Uh, you know, like in the beginning, it's all, and it's pretty on the nose, but I, I think that it still works, uh, even on an adult level. Grug is very insistent that you have to be afraid, which is that it's the old adage of you have to be prepared all the time for everything, which really means that you have to be overbearing and controlling, uh, because otherwise, how can you make sure everything is right? Well, the reality by the end is he's like, well, you sometimes have to recognize that you can't control everything and you have to roll with the punches and having critical thinking skills and being open to ideas and change is what allows you to succeed and move forward and be happy, um, especially for those around you. And, you know, not, not talking to my parents, but there are certainly parents that. Uh, well, I, th I think, I think the one, the reason that works so well is they actually confronted his, uh, his ideas right at the beginning like the first 20 yeah. minutes it was like oh uh we can no longer stay in this cave anymore and so then the entire movie was his arc of being it basically like basically slowly getting adjusting to new things mm -hmm. uh, and being like oh well some of these aren't bad you know and that, i think that's why like the whole thing just works so well is they they really uh they planned out that arc very intelligently yeah. Um, but also well not just out. getting used to new things in a new environment, a new way of life, but like a new role within his family unit, mm. which mm -hmm. they very clearly showed him struggling with um, and not always in a very graceful way. Like, point, uh, yeah. you know, and but uh, the fact that he was able to come around um, at the end in a very positive, positive way and not in a vindictive punishment kind of way, like we saw in G-Force, um, I think he did a really nice job kind of bringing that ending together. And I will warn, so the end of this film, I always tear up because even though I know everything's okay, there's this really uh, tragic moment. And there, were, I heard rumors, I don't know if it's true. I don't know if they, if it was true. I don't know if they actually ended up doing a rendering of it or anything in any form, but that there is an alternate ending for this film. I can only assume that there was talk at some point in development to have Grug actually die because it seems like he might, he saves his family at the end by throwing them to safety and then um, he's left alone. And that's sort of, you know, where it could have ended and he, he does cave paintings and they certainly could have ended it there. And it would have been, if not happy, seemingly appropriate. Um, it's sort of an ending of the old guard, beginning of the new guard. But 
as someone who doesn't like sad things uh, and who really becomes attached to these characters, and I don't want to bum out kids. Honestly, I, I love old Disney, but there is no reason to do that to children. They're going to have plenty of time to be screwed up. Um, but there is a happy ending. And more than a happy ending, it's actually like an oh, like sappy ending in a way. Um, I'm the, mm -hmm. Many of the characters from the background come back. And it's a very nice, happy, positive thing and a, and a way to set up, uh, you know, the, the, the recent sequel as well, I'm sure. Um, and it, it has this nice tie where it isn't just sappy for no reason. I think of um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang with uh, Val Kilmer and Robert Downey Jr. where it ends and like, oh, so-and-so is alive. And Robert Downey Jr.'s voiceover is like, I know what you're thinking. And why don't we just bring back this character and this character? And they all pile into the room and he goes, but that didn't happen. They're not alive, but he is. You know, it's like that, hey, are you going to argue with the ending? This is how we have it happen. So that's what there is to it. And it works. Um, it worked for me anyway. And, uh, and like a, the idea that people can change um, and, and people have the ability to do things that they think they don't is also a really nice message because Grug can't have an idea. He only seems to have bad ideas or weird ideas. He can't be inventive like the new homo sapien guy can. Um, but when it comes down to it and, and his family needs him, uh, he actually can and he does. And uh, maybe he isn't as inventive as Guy, but uh, there will, it's sort of that idea that you will always have someone that you can compare yourself to where you will fall short. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't succeed in what you want to do uh, and that you, there's not value in doing what you love. Um, for example, this podcast does not have as many listens as Joe Rogan, but I would rather listen to this podcast. I know I'm clearly in the minority, but uh, if you think your friends would feel the same way, please recommend Cult and Classic Podcast. Go ahead, like us, subscribe, share our links, send people links to cultandclassicpodcast.com. They can find us on any podcast platform. Tad, had you seen The Croods before? And, uh, and now that you've seen it, what's your take? I have seen it before. And by the way, we'll never sell out like Joe Rogan has. <laughs> With that said, if anyone would like to advertise on Colton Classic Podcast, please reach we'll out to Colton Classic Podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. We would love no, we, to consider your offers. No, we've never sold out, but we are willing to learn. It um, depends. Is somebody buying? <laughs> so, yes, I did see this. I actually saw it the same year it came out. I didn't see it in theaters, but I saw it um, a couple of years after my son was born. Uh, it was just kind of on the family TV at the time, and I sat down and watched it, and uh, I enjoyed it back then, and on a second watch, I enjoyed it more. Uh, this movie kind of reminds me of, again, referring to the video store. After the um, golden age of Disney ended, and you started seeing the exodus of talent from Disney after it really started falling apart and how much of it went to DreamWorks really shows because I mean from 1998 starting with the Prince of Egypt all the way up to this movie most of DreamWorks movies to me are far more memorable more creative even if they didn't make more money they were better films like Road to El Dorado even though it's uh, critically eh is one of my favorite goddamn animated films. And many of DreamWorks films are, are, I sit my kids down to watch these more than I do Disney films because in this era, anyway, from 1998 until now, I would prefer to sit my kids down with a DreamWorks film because 
they're just much more entertaining. And this is this is one of those movies that shows me why, because to your point, Nathan, this is a, uh, a movie where the aesthetics are really important, but it's not the only thing like G-Force where it's basically special effects and who cares about the character development? These characters actually have some depth. And uh, I do appreciate the character design in particular, because even though these are Neanderthals, they uh, manage to sort of design them in a way that makes them aesthetically pleasing without making them look too brutish and ugly at the same time. It's, it's a good balance. Like their heads are wide, their eyes are huge, but they still like look like people mm-hmm. in a way. It works pretty well. Um, the colors are fantastic. The scenes are fantastic. I have no comment about the soundtrack like I usually do. And then I realized looking back, I'm like, oh, I haven't commented about a soundtrack on a movie. And that's usually the most important thing I care about. Lately, there's been no soundtracks that have jumped out to me, but this is one of those movies where the soundtrack hasn't mattered too much. But yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, there's always there's often that argument that if you notice a soundtrack, it probably was detracting from the film in some way. I don't know if that's always true. I think that there are plenty of soundtracks that I've been blown away by that I love and can enjoy the movie at the same time. But this is one where the soundtrack seems to specifically be there to enhance and cradle the other elements like the story, dialogue and visuals rather than stand on its own. I wanted to give this interesting tip since we are, of course, in New Year, New Nick, Nicholas Cage month. Um, supposedly i couldn't find any official dreamworks commentary on this but supposedly grug's body language which is sometimes primate-ish but also very um expressive and all over the place and wild was based on uh, cage's performances in leaving las vegas from 95 and the family man from 2000 now the reason that not just from watching it and thinking uh oh that reminds me of this i think it's possibly true more because this role was written for Nick Cage. They had him in mind. Um, That doesn't mean that he was guaranteed to do it. I'm glad he did, Uh, but he certainly was who they wanted to be in this movie, uh, in that role. It's, and and of course, there's always the story that Nicolas Cage, um, they'd approached him before in 2001, over 10 years earlier, to be the voice of Shrek before Michael Myers. Uh, And he turned that one down because he did not like Shrek's appearance. And it's interesting then because Grug is also, he's not the same, but he's kind of similar in many ways. Um, But it would have been a very different movie had he, had he been Shrek, I think. Um, Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a, it's, and I will say it was also nominated for a best animated feature um from the an academy award um it's not this is in no way a unknown film unless you were in taiwan when it was released um <laughs> but but it's it's i think a very strong entry now we've got jeff we've got mandy we've got tad we have obviously you've heard a huge amount of my take i want to bring us to greg i know you've seen this movie greg what is your take on the crudes 2013 um, well, the the story I, I enjoy most about seeing this is actually um, our, our friend Connor, Nate, from uh, college. Um, yep. He recommended this to me when I was but only beginning to watch all the Cage films. And he's like, how would you like to see a movie where in the first five minutes, Nicolas Cage runs out just screaming, just screaming at animals for like like a minute straight? And I'm like, OK, OK, I could do that. So that was my 
intro to the crudes um i loved it then i love it now um i mean i think you know everyone hit the nail on the head the the world the animation the look the sound like it's it really does create something that's living and breathing um it reminds me a lot of like the first time i got into avatar the last airbender like just with the animals especially um but there's one thing i fucking cannot stand about this film that you nate have said you love about this film <laughs> um and that's the ending because when I sat, I sat there cocksure of myself thinking, oh, I know how this movie ends. <laughs> he, he changes his ways and they all, you know, hug it out, whatever. And then what happens is he decides to make the ultimate sacrifice. I'm going to get you guys out of here. And that's what I can do. I've learned a lesson and I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to stay here and die. And I'm like, oh, my fucking God, this might be the best movie ever made. This might be the movie. And then what <laughs> happens is a bunch of executives were like, that's too dark. And then he lives. And I was like, fuck this. I'm out. They um, out. Yeah, I, I, I think this is a film that really is about toxic masculinity. And I like the idea of him being left behind as the world erupts and engulfed in it. And he learns a lesson and great, good for him. But you know what? Everyone gets to move on without him. And I think it was also just so much more of a gut punch. Um, I'm thinking about like Kung Fu Panda 2 really hit me hard. That was another DreamWorks film that was just right at the end. Um, but I feel like this one, it like it reached up to the mountaintop and then froze to death. Um, I'm 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 always reminded of that that scene in um, um, Stranger Than Fiction, where, where Will Ferrell's character like reads this book that's about his life, and he's like, "I don't want to die because the book's controlling him and all that." And he gives the book back, and he's like, "You know what? I think you should kill me in the book." Um, it really is what works best for this story. And I accept that. And I feel like, yeah, Crudes, um, I love the sequel. Go see it if you love the Crudes. It's a great film. It's very, very funny. Very funny. Um, but I, I almost wish that this was a contained universe that had Grug make this sacrifice. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I feel like we expect that in a way. Um, I actually have, have a lot of theories on this that are contested heavily by some people um, about killing a character uh, in that way as an ending to an arc. And my biggest example of this, and I've talked to my wife who is a big Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, is Joss Whedon's methodology for writing a story. Um, Peter David, who wrote um, some of the greatest arcs for the Incredible Hulk comic series does this too. This was always his big deal is you kill the cinnamon roll, right? Or you kill the character that's going to hurt the most. And it's this, it's this way to, it is two things. And one has merit and one I would argue doesn't. And the one that has merit is when it uh, increases the character, the, the, the reader, viewer, the audience's engagement in the plot as it goes on. And that's often done in, um, Desperado does it. It's, it's kind of why we get that awful um, fridging scene in so many movies like Deadpool 2, um, where, you know, oh, the girlfriend is dead and shoved in the fridge, which interestingly enough comes from a comic book uh, reference, Green, La uh, Green Lantern. Um, and it's, of course, in, that's kind of an inherently misogynistic example, but it's the same concept where you would kill a character that is 
the ultimate drive for the and for the protagonist to complete the cycle um the other one is what i would see if grug did die which is it feels as you said it feels complete but it's also the easy way out and whedon does that sometimes too which irritates me i'm picking on him today um because of justice league and what i would like to say is um use it as a last option writers because if it feels right to kill the character ask yourself does it feel right because it's removed all options for the plot to move forward because that's often the case um if you kill the protagonist or something that's causing the catalyst for all the events yeah of course your story's over it's gonna feel like it wrapped up nicely because there's literally nowhere for you to go um but if there's another way to wrap it up that can feel satisfying, that might actually be the better option because it's that whole, it's that whole push away from uh, traditional American um, storytelling where the ending has to please the audience as well as feel appropriate or realistic. Sometimes it doesn't work. I think that this film could have gone either way. I mean, it absolutely felt like the intent was to have him die and leave potentially behind a record on the wall as he's painting um, in these final moments. Personally, I'm fine with the happier ending where not only does he learn that he actually can have ideas, but also uh, he learns that he likes the family cat or the family dog, because that is a thing. Anyone who has that dad who's like who's not a psychopath who says things like it's like god damn dog or whatever they always end up loving that friggin dog or that cat or whatever they are the ones that the cat and dog love because they they actually give them a, a birth opposed to me who's the one that grabs the cat and picks him up and they just they like why do you do this to me I'm a cat. <laughs> um yeah. You know, I, I I think I think in my heart I was like, Oh my god, thank God Grug lived. I was mm. I'm really worried that Eve wouldn't have a dad and oh oh my god. <laughs> but I, but I think it, it was something that I think you're right on the money with it it can be a really easy way out for any other film that's not an animated kids film. I feel like every single animated kids film really, really bites hard in that Tootsie Pop and wants you to kind of leave feeling good. And Toy Story, I, I would, so, what? So I, unless you're Toy Story, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this actually is very, we, we've, been, we've talked about like uh, resurrection, uh, I think last week or two weeks ago, um, as something that I dislike. This is like resurrection adjacent. It, it's essentially like they did the goodbye, you're dead. And then he essentially gets resurrected. And then, oh, yay, it's the thing. Uh, I so I'm gonna agree with Greg on this one a, a little bit. I don't like that mechanism uh, because it's like uh, it's all just for that one scene where he has a touching moment with his daughter, um, and it, it just it, it feels like you can do that other ways um, that that aren't oh he sacrificed himself oh no he didn't uh, and also for this character like obviously he would sacrifice himself for his family like that was like his whole like modus like it wasn't like a meaningful act for him to be like oh i will sacrifice myself for the family it's like that was the whole character throughout the whole thing it wasn't like a big turn for him um so it 
it literally was there wasn't that part of it it was just the moment with the daughter and like a little bit with the grandma but it was like yeah. it just it felt like it could have gone different ways i would have written it maybe a different way where maybe they thought he was dead for a second you have that eulogy moment mm -hmm. and then you know surprise he, he comes back it's interesting because uh, it sounds like maybe the core issue then is an execution issue because the focus it's too i understand the i understand why it's a tear moment when he throws her eep across the in the last person and then he has to flee and he they see each other across the way he knows they're okay and then he can move on it's a tearful moment it's beautiful which is i think part of what you're saying greg why it doesn't fit my my cause of like well, don't kill him if it's just the easiest and not necessarily the best. It's beautiful, um, but then you undo it, though. I well, think that's the that's and, the thing. And that's the thing. I think if if they'd focus, if they had less of the of power in that moment, if they'd taken it away a little bit, then it could have refocused on what I think is also that important or neat message, at least, which is he can instead of because he's basically like, I'm going to lie down in a cave and die. But then when his family needs help, he thinks he's like, oh. I can do this too. I have to. And I liked his idea actually. It was kind of interesting, not necessarily realistic, but fun. Um, and, uh, and then we get that moment where he actually does the thing that he's been railing against. He embraces because of necessity, the idea of in inventiveness and ingenuity that he was like, it's not important. We have this and you know, my fist. Um, and if you'd, if you'd tapered down, I understand they wanted both, I think was the issue. And they knew that the sacrifice would have more power. And like I said, I always tear up. It clearly does. Mm -hmm. um, but they wanted both. And so in that way, they sort of make the end focus him sacrificing himself when they could have had it be stronger on the his um, almost rebirth, right? As an open-minded individual. And so it could, I think you're right, actually. I think both of you, the, the ideas coming together that they wanted their cake and eat it too. And I think it's, like, like everyone said, I think it's yeah. fine. Um, but I think that's why we get that conflict of it should have been this way, but it's still okay. Or it could have I been still love way. the movie. It's just this type of thing kind of, it's like, it, it gets it gets in your head and you're like, ew. You know, it's just like, it's just like this little ew me. It's just like, I, I yeah, don't I mean, like that one little thing. It's no, they... I mean, it's no cake in the microwave. Yeah, it's no cake in the microwave. <laughs> never Which would be anything. delicious. Hey, guys, check the ColtonClassicPodcast.com site and check the shop link for the uh, cake in the microwave t-shirts. Um, We're running a protest against people putting cake in microwave. Please be. Listeners, if you, if, you, if, you, if you eat cake and you actually put it in the microwave, please DM us uh, at Colton Classic Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, or or send us an email at Colton Classic Podcast at gmail.com. I need to know if you actually microwave your cake. And if you do, can you please tell me why and what the consistency is when it comes out? Because I they're don't busy people. It. They're busy people with real lives versus you who has all this time to just turn on your oven and you have you have hours. You have hours for your cake. I just leave my oven on all day. That's all I do. I just, my gas bill is extraordinarily high, but I never have to wait for cake. Um, yeah. So I, I think we're going to bring it around here to recommendations. Jeff, would you recommend the crudes to someone and why? Uh, yeah. If, if you're a homo sapien or a Neanderthal, watch it. We don't discriminate. <laughs> yeah. 
I also want to throw out there too, a lot of anthropologists seem to, I'm sure there's people on both sides of this still, but uh, seem to have, and actually our genetic tests seem to be panning it out, but they think that Neanderthals, instead of actually dying out, they really um, crossbred with mm. Homo sapiens. And so um, that's why people say they have Neanderthal in their in their DNA. Yeah, you test. identify as Neanderthal. I think it's tall, not tall. It is tall. if you're pretentious. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, Neanderthal. So, and I will, I will, so I'm going to throw this out there. They're fun to do, but those DNA tests are not accurate. They are based on vague guesses at best. So if you're really into it, um, do your research. Because uh, also um, the Mormon church runs most of the record keeping for those. So eh, take it with a grain of salt. I think they, they have motives that may differ from, from mine. Anywho, Mandy, would you recommend the crudes and why? Yes, I would recommend it. It is super fun and beautiful. And, you know, I think it's, has there something there for all ages? You know, so it, it, I think like we've, I'd already mentioned like How to Train Your Dragon. I really like that one too for similar reasons. Like I can watch it. I don't hate it. I've seen it a hundred times. Hopefully it'll be the same with Croods. Um, I think that's a good out. comparison. And I you know, I, mean, I love uh, How to Train Your Dragon, um, even even the sequels, which were problematic, but um, they they have a similar... The tension is there that something terrible could happen, but things still work out in the end. Maybe not exactly how you hoped, but in a way where the characters are happy and they've learned lessons and we've learned lessons too because of it. Tad, would you recommend The Crudes and why? I absolutely would um, for pretty much the same reasons. Um, this is a movie where uh, for once I didn't watch it at 1.5 speed, which I did with G-Force and it actually made the movie a little funny because... Um, <laughs> You, I swear, I heard a couple times those guinea pigs saying shit in the middle of the movie. And I actually had to rewind. And I'm like, oh, they said shoot. But when you speed it up to 1.5, it definitely sounds like shit. It sounds like there are hamsters or guinea pigs or whatever the hell they are swearing all through that movie. Um, this I is... would absolutely go see that reboot. I would, I would see Tarantino's reboot with Samuel Jackson, the lead, and Trey oh Parker and Matt Stone on script duty. I would watch that G-Force a thousand times out we'll call it g spot force and it's going to be brilliant all right um, so uh we got to make this happen so whoever's listening uh talk to people make it happen because i don't know free up the money putting it out there to the world all right greg it is your turn to tell us that it's the end of the podcast i'm just kidding who would you recommend the crudes to and why I would never in my life recommend. No, I'm kidding. I'm, yeah, of course I would recommend this movie to anyone. It's like like Jeff said. I mean, it really does hit the nail on the head. And like, kind of, here's what a family film is supposed to do. It's funny. It's cute. It's it's wonderful. Um, honestly, I movies like The Crudes are why I love watching Nicolas Cage films. Period. Because it's something I would never ever probably like go out and watch in my life. And so to kind of come into this world because he happened to be in it and i'm just watching from the list it's 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 a delight to be surprised by it um yeah all around anyone um and if you're a fan of Nicolas cage i mean he's basically co-starring with um emma stone in this more or less i mean obviously yep. yeah and obviously ryan reynolds but you know I, I think it's really more of him and his daughters kind of butting heads than their story um 
Oh, and also going back a little bit, uh, G-Force makes me wonder, why aren't there more movies where Nicolas Cage is the villain? He's a great villain. He's so fun. I hope he lives till he's 100, so he finally gets old enough to hit the, like, well, we're just going to cast you as the weird old villain in every yeah. movie. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Um, he, he, frankly, he should have played the mole and Bill Nighy's character, although Bill Nighy is an absolute legend, and I adore him, and he deserves to be in every role ever. Um, as you said, Emma Stone played Eep, and I also want to give a shout out to Catherine Keener, who played Missy in Get Out. Um, she's the mom, and the incredible comedy legend Cloris Leachman plays Grandma. So um, it's this this cast is also a powerhouse, and kind of as you got to it, if you think that because you like Nicolas Cage, you wouldn't necessarily like the Cruise because he's voice acting, he's acting. Um, good cast members act their their voice roles, and everyone does an amazing job in this. The they're, the crude sort of um, parallel animalistic nature with the human side, like it, it really it took a lot of work. I can only imagine Emma Stone. I never would have known it was her, even though it sounds like her voice. She does not play an Emma Stone character in this movie. Um, so I think everyone does a bang up job and Nicolas Cage absolutely 100% plays a great role for Nicolas Cage in this movie. Well, that is it for this episode of Cult and Classic Podcast. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. We have one more week of New Year, New Nick, Nicolas Cage movies coming up and we are very excited. It will bring you current and we will give you some films to binge that have come out within the last uh, couple of years. And uh, that is it out uh playing us is always the chud with all about evil i want to again remind you you can reach out to us at colton classic podcast on instagram facebook.com slash colton classic podcast you can uh, reach out to me nate wyckoff at twitter and you can email us at colton classic podcast at gmail.com with requests questions or just to say hi we hate you i microwave my cake every day whatever you want to say uh and there you go have a good day guys Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.